welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Good. So, if you're a visitor, welcome. Uh, we call ourselves family, so by default you're part of the family. If you're tuning in uh, via our live stream, um, thank you guys for joining us today. We, we love when you're here. We've been in, uh, we've got a first lay him as the corner series where we've talked about Jesus as the cornerstone and that we've got a first lay him as the cornerstone and everything else that we build upon, if Jesus is the cornerstone, will be in alignment if we build off of him. So Pastor Ryan gave a great word on Jesus being our cornerstone. And then a couple weeks ago, we gave a word on what it means that Jesus is called a different kind of stone, which he's called uh, a rock of offense or stone in which people will stumble over. And so we talked about how the gospel, when you read it, sometimes it can, it can be offensive. And Jesus says in his word, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so we wrestle with this idea of reading the gospel and it should challenge our heart. We should read the gospel and be like, oh man, that wages war against everything that I wanna do or wanna say or wanna be. It should challenge us. It's the life of Jesus. It's not the life of the flesh, amen? And so we talked about what that looked like. And then last week, we talked about this idea of how truth always overcomes power. That no matter what power structures are in play, no matter what the power may look like, first of all, it says that God places all people in their positions and he's got a plan. So no matter what the power is, the truth of continue to go strong. So we kind of, we kind of thousand plus years, it's still been going strong. Amen? Amen. And it will continue to go strong. So we kind of, we kind of talked about that. And today I just want to get on another tangent. Can I get on a tangent for a minute? Um, there's been something kind of stirring in my heart. We talked about it a few weeks back when we talked about humility and about how we all desire to be right. You guys remember that? Like we have this heart, well, I just wanna be right. No matter what, I wanna be right. And I was praying through that because I've been still struggling in that. I've been struggling to say, Lord, it's not about being right. It's not about being right. And just really being challenged with it. And the Lord says, Aaron, you've really switched from trying to be right. Now you just wanna win. Anybody wanna just win? I just, wanna, I just want you to know this is like, I, there's something about winning that gives me like just cuddly feelings, I guess. I, I like, just confession to you, I like to win. It's warm and fuzzy when win. Like you, if you're going to the bingo parlor on Friday night, you're not sitting there going, Lord, I pray that this card is a losing card, right? Like if you bought a lottery ticket when it hit a billion dollars because you were like, just this one time, right? And you went and got the Powerball ticket, you didn't say, Lord, will you give me a losing ticket to teach me something, right? It's not what you did. We like the idea of winning. We always want this idea of winning. I was sharing the first two services. Been um, training for half marathon. It's going horrible right now. Just want to throw that out to you. It's going horrible and I'm not, yeah, it's just going horrible. So I'm training for this half marathon with two guys. One of them's right here, Dan, and another guy named Bryce. And you know, they're army guys, Navy guy. He's an army guy. And so they've got this, this running thing down arms in tight, you know, they've just got a military look on their face. And I'm back there going, <laughs> right? It's terrible, it's terrible. And they're always in front of me and I'm always lagging behind. And I haven't confessed this, so this is my first confession to you today, Dan. And so we'll run like four miles and I'm like, dear Lord, I've told you, take me now, it's horrible, okay? And I'm lagging behind, but there's something in me. I'm in my, like, I thought that this would go away. I'm in my 40s. There's something in me now that that last 100 yards, I want to sprint just to beat them, right? 
It means nothing. There's no finish line. There's nobody there at the end going, great job, Aaron. It's just something in me that says, I want to beat these guys, right? It's this thing where I want to win. And so that last 100 yards, I'm like, I would sprint right now if I didn't feel like I was going to throw up, really. I don't know what it is, but I want to be. Our culture is telling us that you need to pick a side and make sure you pick the winning side. That's why you're anti this or you're pro this. That's why you're anti this or you're pro that. That's why you're on the left or you're on the right. Because there's somebody that's telling you, you need to pick a side and you need to be on the winning side. I remember my older two kids when I really, uh, we got four kids and the older two when I was really trying to get them ingrained um, to love K-State, all right? And um, I remember they came up four or five years old and they'd say, they'd say, daddy, we want, you know, we love K-State football. And I'm like, oh. We're having a moment, right? Like we look, and then they would fall, and we love KU basketball. And I literally, four-year-olds, you can't do that. That's illegal. You can't love K-State and KU. Pick a winning side, K-State. Pick it, right? Because there was something in my heart, even in that moment of going, you can't like them both. You guys know what I'm talking about? You can't like them both because there's something ingrained in us where you have to pick a side. And you better pick the winning side. And so I've been warring in my flesh with this all week and wanting to pick that side and going, Lord, I know, I know that this is the win. And the Lord's been giving me these just verses, just downloading Proverbs 19:21. Many are the plans of man, but it's the plans of God who prosper. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, like he's building this case in my heart. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And I feel like he inserts Aaron, okay? Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. 1 Corinthians 3, 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. So I just... I really wanna stir the pot this morning. Really wanna stir the pot in your heart. I wanna challenge you and, and I wanna say this and then we're, I'm gonna say it and then I'm gonna work through it with you because you may not like it, all right? And I wanna say this, that God is not on your side. God is on God's side, amen? amen. <laughs> God is not on your side, God is on God's side. Let me, let me, let me work that out for just a minute. God is not about me. God is not about what side is Aaron on because that's the side I want to be on. Let me hear, let me, let me say that God loves you. He's deeply invested in your life. He sent his son, God in flesh, to die on the cross for your sins. He loves you. He wants to redeem you, transform you, renew you, change you from the inside out. God is, is in the details of your life. He's not just somewhere up there. He's deeply involved and deeply invested in your life to put his splendor on full display. He's deeply invested in your life so that you and I grow more and more and more into his glorious image. And so sometimes what happens though is we have the other side where we think that God is invested in my life because he just sides with me. And what that does is it begins to draw a line of going, God's on my side and he's not on your side. Let me tell you why that's so important, church. 
Because when we have the idea that God is for God and we deeply invested in our life, loves us, died for us, gave the ultimate sacrifice, when, when we understand though that God is for God and that we are simply to display his glory, it changes the way in which we see things. Here, here's what I mean. We, all of us in this room, every single person in this room, from how we were raised to our life experiences, to what we've been taught, to the things that we've gone through, through the difficulties and challenges in life, all of us have developed these preconceived notions and we've become predisposed to how things work in our own mindset. So that word predisposed, I've got an attitude and a heart that is already set in how I approach things. I've got an attitude and a mindset in how I approach things because it's, I'm already predisposed to it. This is the way I think. This is the way I think. So everything in life is filtered through my predisposition. Just the way that I think. It's why somebody can give a compelling argument, maybe they're against some, they can give a compelling argument, and in that moment, it doesn't matter because my mind is already made up. I'm predisposed. I've got it. You can make a compelling argument. We can battle back and forth, but I've, you've got your preconceived that you'll run back to, your predisposition. I've got mine that I'll run back to, and so we just stay your side and my side. And so something stirred me last week that somebody posted that was awesome and yet challenging to my heart. This person loves the Lord, loves the, the country we live in, freedom, and they posted this. Listen to what it says. Let me not mix up freedom in Christ with freedom in America. That's a mistake I desire not to make. Freedom in Christ is kingdom living no matter what is happening around me. Amen. Amen. Focusing on freedom in America can be, not can be idol worship meant to make my life on earth more comfortable for myself. Help me to discern the difference in my own heart and stand rightly. Oh, that ward in my heart. I'm listening to that and I'm like, but I like freedom in America, right? On the other side, as a believer, I'm like, but, but Jesus, your freedom, like your word, your, your freedom is true. Your freedom is real. Your freedom is the free. Kingdom life is what I want. And those two can sometimes collide in our life. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I'm going to set the table. If you guys have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 5. I'm going to set the table for just a minute on how this plays out in our life. Moses is dead. Joshua chapter 5, we pick up. Moses is dead. Joshua is taking over as a leader. He has to lead an entire nation into the promised land that God promised them, okay? It's filled with great things, but it's also a land that's filled with people that do not like them. And, and, and it's not just people that do not like them. It's strongholds, fortified cities, fortified encampments. It's, it's, it's great armies that they're going to have to go through for them to enter into this promised land. In fact, the way that scripture described it was when Moses was alive, he spent 12, sent 12 spies into it. If you remember the story, they came back and said, it's everything the Lord said. It's got all of the things, all the beautiful things that the Lord says, except that we saw giants and we saw armies and we saw fortified cities and there's no way we can take it. And so if you remember, 
Those spies stirred the hearts of the people and they began to rebel against Moses and going in. And so Moses kind of placated them and just kind of took a step back. So because of that, the anger of the Lord burned against them. And that entire generation was not allowed to enter the promised land until they all died out and the next generation would go. You guys remember that? It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And so here's Joshua. That generation died out. Now Joshua is becoming the leader to go in and take what the Lord had said that they could take in him. And the first place they come to is a place called Jericho. Jericho is a stronghold, man. This place, there's a reason as kids you studied the walls of Jericho and sang songs about it because this was a big deal. This was the first place, first obstacle they would come up against. And Jericho, Jericho historically had big, huge, thick walls and, and walls that were tall. And by the world standards, it was impenetrable. It was built so that no one could come against it. And here's Joshua going, okay, I've got to go take this thing. And so we pick up in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Before they get to Jericho, they've just crossed over the Jordan River. They see Jericho. That's my goal. That's where I'm going to get. And Joshua sees a man standing between him and his goal. And he says, and when Joshua was near Jericho, he took up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. Most of us would be like, this guy's coming for me. Get a picture. If there's a man standing in front of you with a sword in his hand, most of us would be like, this guy's coming for me. Joshua went up and he asked him, are you for us or are you for them? Meaning our enemies. Are you for us or are you for them? And the answer was no. <laughs> Worst answer of all time, right? You didn't answer my question. I don't think you heard me. Are you for us or are you from, for, for them? No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place that you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Church, listen, I have this picture of Joshua as this warrior, skilled leader. He was a skilled fighter. People saw him as a leader of leaders, which is why he's leading the, the Israelites into the promised land. And Joshua looks up and he sees this figure in front of him with a sword in their hand. And he says, you for us or you for them? And basically what he's saying, pick a side because I'm coming. You're standing in front of my destiny, which is Jericho. Pick a side, because if you pick the wrong side, I'm coming. And the response is, no. <laughs> and then he says, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Picture of, you can picture of Jesus there. I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Take off your sandals, because where you're standing is holy. And Joshua just goes, this weird moment in scripture where God's command to Joshua was to go and take the land and it's in front of him. There's Jericho, get it. And that's what he commanded him to do. But the response of Jesus, the response of the commander of the army of the Lord, whoever that was in that moment is so telling of what God is trying to teach us today about picking sides. And I wanna say this, God is on God's side. If I'm Joshua and I'm in Joshua's shoes, I'm going, hang on a minute, time out. Whoa, just give me a second, Lord. It's me, Aaron. Remember you, 
You told me that I'm supposed to go and do this thing and I'm finding myself up against some difficult situations to bring down that thing that you told me to go up against. And I really thought that if I asked you whose side you're on, you're gonna say, Aaron, I'm on your side. You know I'm for you, Aaron. I really thought, God, in this moment, that when I said, hey, are you with me? You'd be like, Aaron, I am with you. Your side is gonna win and you are right, right? I was fully expecting, yes, Aaron, I'm on your side because I bought you with a price with my son Jesus, right? Like that's what goes through our minds. That ain't how it went down. That ain't how Joshua experienced this moment with the Lord. In this moment with the Lord, he says, are you for us or for them? The answer was no. And I think in this moment, and we just know, Joshua just falls to the ground. You're you're standing on holy ground before God. He falls to the ground. I think in this moment, there was a revelation in the heart of Joshua where he realizes that this victory that they're about to have for him and his people, this territory they're about to take called the promised land, all of it is for one thing, and that's the glory of Jesus. All of it is for one thing, and that's the plans of the Lord. The Lord is teaching him in this moment, you're going to go into this land, not so that you can puff yourself up and go, look at what we've done. You're going to go into this land, not so that you can be blessed and be wealthy, but so that you can be a blessing and you can bless others. He's teaching him in this moment that what I'm about to do for you is for one purpose, the plans of God. And all of these pieces in position that are getting ready to play out are for one thing, Joshua, me the Lord. And I think we can see how Joshua gets this because 19 chapters later, 19 chapters, right after he says, are you for us or for them? 19 chapters later in, verse, in, in, in Joshua 24, 15, he gets to a place where there's some tension building among the people. And Joshua says these words, choose this day whom you will follow. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think before that, Joshua may have said, choose this day. Are you with me or are you with them? Now his language has changed. I'm not asking you to be with me or asking you to be with them. I'm saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's my position. That's where I'm at. That's where we're going to camp out at. And I would just say as a church, it would benefit us greatly. And as a people of God, it would benefit us greatly. Let me say it like this. I think that if, if our predisposition, what we're ingrained in right now, our preconceived notions on how life works, if they always started with whatever you desire to do, Lord, I'm with it, I think we'd find ourselves in a better position. Because what that does is it takes the pressure off of my side winning. My side winning. What does that even mean? My side winning. So Joshua settles in his heart. God is on God's side. Loves me, desires me, is there for me, and it's for his glory. But God is on God's side. Now all of a sudden Joshua has to do something else. He still sees Jericho. He still has a calling in his life. I've got to go. Okay, so God's on God's side. Who he for God, us or them? No. Okay, that explained a lot to me. God, thank you for that. Right? I still see Jericho, I still gotta go after it. Now the Lord is about to teach something to Joshua. When you know that God is on God's side, then you'll know this, God will always do it God's way. God will always do it God's way. So after this, the Lord is telling him, you're going to do it my way. Now Joshua is gonna go and take Jericho, okay? 
So I want you to hear this. He says, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Stop. Jericho hasn't been delivered into his hands yet. Ain't no walls come down yet. Nobody's charged in yet. There's not been a victory in the way that we would see a physical victory yet, but the Lord is pre, predispositioning, pre-getting his heart with this new disposition of his heart that when you're in my way, you win before you ever lift a sword. There's a new predisposition building in Joshua's heart. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I can see Joshua going, really? And Joshua all of a sudden begins to realize, oh yeah, this is about you, God, and this is about your way. You're telling me that in you, and you've heard Ryan say this, I'm not fighting for victory, I'm fighting what? From victory. It's already mine. It's already mine. Along with its king and its fighting men, march around the city once with all the armed men, do this for six days, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on your trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse, the army will go up, everyone straight in, okay? Joshua settling in his heart right now, like God is on God's side and now I need to be on your side. And now you're telling me this battle plan of how this is gonna play out. And I just, I wanna wager in my heart that Joshua being a skilled leader, being a very skilled warrior, that Joshua had already sat down with his generals and he had already gone over what the battle plan was. He's like, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get our bows and arrows, we're gonna get our, we're gonna get our swords, we're gonna get these huge things, we're gonna ram the walls, it's gonna take months, we're gonna siege this place, it could take months, but we're just gonna keep doing it, being persistent. Eventually, we're gonna get into Jericho because the Lord says we're going to. And so I'm thinking Joshua is sitting there going through his battle plan and how it's all gonna play out, and he's, how his whole life, he's like, I've trained for this my whole life. And then the Lord tells him his plan, he sits back and he goes, okay. You want me to march around it, got it. You want me to take worshipers with priests, with horns and trumpets. You want us to be quiet to praise with all of our might. And then you wanna shout, basically, I think it's shout praise. You want us to shout praise with all of our might and the walls are gonna come down? Worst plan ever, Lord. <laughs> like, I, he, he's recognizing God is, God is for God, and I need to be on God's side. Not my side, I need to be on God's side. Now he's recognizing, if I'm for God, I've got to do it God's way. Militarily, he's probably going, this is crazy. I'll put it in modern day terms. Go to the Marines, tell the Marines, this is how I want you to fight. I want you to march around your enemy and yell at them, okay? They may be crazy enough to do it, but they're going to go, terrible strategy. This Joshua going back to his commanders and leaders and saying, look, this is what the Lord said to do. He settled in his heart, I have to be on God's side. He's now settled in his heart, I have to do it God's way. And here's the problem about doing things God's way. When it's God's way, the Lord tends to do things differently than my way. Amen. I want you to look at it like this. Things are getting a little ugly out there. 
Things are getting a little bad. There's struggle and things are going a little bit chaotic and, and, and all these things are happening and we're going, Lord, Lord, what is happening right now? And he's like, okay, we're almost there. And you're going, what? What do you mean we're almost, are we looking at the same thing? Joshua looking at Jericho going, those walls, what do you mean yell and the walls are coming down? And the Lord looking at the walls going, yeah, yell. Are we looking at the same thing? In reality, church, it ties into a bit of what we talked about last week where there's chaos going on around us and we're going, Lord, are you seeing what we're seeing? How is this a winning side? And when pressure came, if you remember last week, we said when pressure came, when believers gave their lives up, when the disciples and the early church walked in being martyrs for the kingdom, the gospel spread like crazy. There's a quote that I love, and it says, may the blood of martyrs be the seed for a revived church. May those who bled before us be the seed of a church that revives. Amen? You would think on the blood that's been spilled in the 20th and 21st centuries, historically, the two bloodiest centuries of all time, more Christians killed last century and this century than all time. More Christians killed in the last two centuries, our living century, more Christians killed worldwide for their faith than all time. You would think those words that Joshua ushered to the commander of the Lord's army, are you for us or are you for them? You would think it would be easy in their hearts to go, Man, he must be for them. Like, look at all these people dying. Look at all these people being drugged out of their house. Look, look what ISIS did. Look at all of these people being drugged out of their homes. He must be for them. Look at how wickedness is just growing like crazy. He must be for them. Is that what this is about? Is he just for them? And I want to say, no. What the Lord is doing is he's refining by fire. He's purifying by fire. He's causing us to go, ah, I can't live in the middle any longer. There is no such thing any longer as casual Christianity. There's no thing any longer that's called the lukewarm life. I can't dwell there. It doesn't exist anymore. Because if wickedness is on the increase, we know that righteousness is on the increase. People in the middle and I've got to... And we've said it a thousand times, that gap gets wider and wider and I'm uncomfortable in the middle and I've got to pick a side. And so we know that in this moment, what's happening and these, these pressures that are coming in, they're doing something in the life of the believer. And here's what Peter calls it, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is, everybody say, genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is much more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The Lord is for his glory. The Lord is for his glory. And we're growing more and more and more into his glorious image. And he's telling us that as we go through these trials, as we go through these things, on the day of his return, it will be bring you much praise and glory and honor when he returns. This is what James says. Consider it pure joy. We know this one. Brothers and sisters, everybody uses this, right? Consider it pure joy. 
When you go through trials of all kinds, because you know that it's testing your faith, and that testing your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And all of a sudden we read those and we begin to get the big picture. Why? Because our predisposition is changing. We're beginning to see like Joshua saw that the Lord talked about. We're beginning to change what that baseline is in our life where we have once said, I'm going to pick this side because this is the winning side. No, I'm going to pick this side because this is the winning side. We change our predisposition and we say, I'm going to pick God's side. And something begins to happen. We begin to get a bigger picture where we understand that what we're going through is to develop perseverance and endurance. You say, why is that so important? Because I've beat this down the last four weeks in Matthew chapter 24. We've been Matthew chapter 24. Every week we're using it. Matthew 24, Jesus has given signs of the times. Mark this. Terrible times are coming. People will turn against one another. This is what it's going to look like. And right smack dab in the middle, Matthew 24, 13, he says, But the one who endures, perseveres, stands firm to the end will be saved. The one who perseveres, endures, and stands firm to the end will be saved. And so what you're really doing is you're going, your word, Father, your word, your goal is not for my side to win. Your word is to declare that you've already won. And your way, my way, may look like I'm losing the fight. But in reality, we may be winning the heart. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees, sweating drops of blood. I feel like I'm sweating right now, but sweating drops of blood. And he literally is on his, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will. I don't want it. Don't want my will. Your will be done. And in this minute, Jesus is going, you, you see the fight that's coming, Father, but I want your heart. I don't want, I'm not worried about the fight. You've won the fight. You've won the war. I want your heart in this thing. Let me ask you this, church. Is your goal, is my goal, is your goal to win the fight or win the heart? I'm predispositioned in my, my, my disposition, the way I'm set up, my predisposition in my heart is that I just want to win the fight. But we get this picture in Acts 16, 23, where it wasn't about winning the fight, it was about winning the heart. L listen to this, I'll close, I promise I'll close out with this. Paul and Silas, we've used this before in here. It's one of my favorite verses that show what this looks like. I'm gonna wrap it all up into this. Paul and Silas come into this town. They set a, a girl free who's got spiritual bondage in her life. She's got some, some, some spiritual darkness, some demon activity in her life. And because of that, she's able to fortune tell. She's able to tell people's fortunes. So there's these two guys that own her. They're making a ton of money based off what she can do. She's a slave to them. They're making a ton of money. They're fo she's following Paul and Silas, basically calling these guys men of God. They get tired of listening. They turn around, lay their hands on her. The demons are cast out. Pretty awesome. This girl is set free. Her bondage is set free. She's redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And the two guys that owned her making money off her, they're ticked. So Paul and Silas are in prison, but they are, are, are grabbed, they're thrown into prison, and not only are they thrown into prison, but the jailer receives these words, guard them carefully, make sure that they don't escape, put them in the inner part of the prison. 
So Paul and Silas do what Paul and Silas do. They're praying, they're praying, they're worshiping the Lord despite their circumstances. And then verse 26, suddenly there was, this, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison, somebody say all the. All the prison doors flew open and everyone's, everyone's, everyone's chains came loose. This wasn't just Paul and Silas. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer wakes up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights to be turned on. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the rest of the story goes, Paul and Silas shared the gospel of Jesus with him. He receives Jesus in his life. They're baptized in the name of Jesus and they're believers. An entire generation in that particular family is saved because Paul and Silas aren't worried about the fight. They're worried about the Holy would have felt the same thing. God's on my side, suckers, right? He's on my side. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I can leave right now. See that? God broke my chains. He opened the gates. He wants me to leave. And all of us would have been predispositioned to see it that way. But that ain't the way that Paul and Silas saw it. Paul and Silas saw it. Our chains fell off. The gates have opened. And we're supposed to stay right here because God's about to do a work. Because it isn't about my freedom in America. It's about my freedom in Christ. And because they decided that the, that the goal was not to win the fight, but to win the heart, an entire family, and who knows how many generations and generations and generations have been changed because of that one moment. Let me just tell you this. In that moment, Paul saw that God wanted to do something through them and they were there for a reason with pressure, being beaten in the inner cells, and they worshiped the Lord and God moved. Now listen to this, verse 36. The jailer came back, being saved, baptized. The jailer comes back and tells Paul, the magistrates and the leaders have ordered that you and Silas be released, physically released. Now you can leave, go in peace. God's setting them free anyways. He had a work for them to do. And had they left because they were fighting the fight, had they left, they would have missed the opportunity when God was going to set them free anyways. God knows what he's doing because God has a plan for God and his glory. And God will do it his way. Amen, church. Paul's situation did not determine God's outcome. Amen. All right, so, band, you guys can come up here. And how I want to close out is this. I know that right now, there are wars. What side do you fall on? People are saying, are you with us? Are you with them? This is what I want the response of the church to be. No. Are you with us? Are you with them? No. You with us? Are you with them? No. Well, then who are you with? I'm with the Lord God. I'm with his plan. I'm with what he desires. I'm with what he wants. My heart is big. I'm praying for, for freedom. I'm fighting for freedom in the kingdom of God. I'm praying for freedom in every other way. However God wants to work that out, I'm trusting you, Lord. You want me to march around? I'll march around. You want walls to come down? Walls will come down. But I'm trusting. But what I want more than anything, it ain't, I'm not worried about winning the fight because you've already won the war. I'm worried about winning the heart.
You've heard us say this for three weeks, church. This could be the greatest movement in church history for us, or it can be the greatest opportunity for division ever. What are we after? I'm confessing I have a war within me. I want to join a team. I want to join a side. I want to join what I, my predisposition. I want to join the side. I'm going to be like, we're fight. We're going to win. But then the Lord's going to show up and I'm going to fall prostrate before him anyways. Boom. I'm going to say, God, it's whatever you want because it's going to prosper anyways. So I'm asking you in those secret places, we're typing things and we're warring and we're throwing... Look, that's my strap. I, I had a, oh, oh, you put that? I will show you. Here's a YouTube video. Watch that. But, but nobody's like, oh, that really changed my heart. What I, what I want more than anything now is I want to know, Jesus, you are for you. You've got this thing. You laid it out from the beginning. And because of that, your way, your way, your way, your way. So will you just confess to the Lord this morning, we're singing this song, we just confess, if you've been running your race in your way, God, I submit, I surrender, I stop, I'm done. No more my way. Now it's your way. And I just wanna pray that over us today. So Father, thank you for your kingdom. And thank you that your kingdom is not uprooted, that your kingdom is not unfolded, that your kingdom is not undone because of the kingdom of the world. Thank you that your kingdom will stand and last forever. Father, I pray that you would set us free in the kingdom of Jesus, that you would break preconceived notions or, or preconceived ideas that we have laid our life on in these predispositions. This is the way it is. This is the way it should be. Maybe so. But if there's anything, God, that is not of your kingdom, break it and destroy it in our life. And I'm all for fighting the fight that you want me to fight. And I'm all for having the voice God to have. I don't want to just find a voice that's loud and sounds loud. I want to find a voice that seasons with Jesus and changes lives. So break it today, Father, if there's anything that is not of you. Whose side are you on? And I pray that when somebody says, are you with us or are you with them, that our Jesus Christ, for his glory. In your name we pray. Amen. We got to stand. We'll just close out with this last song. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.